Our sermon text today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. You can find that in the New Testament uh, on page 833 of the Pew Bible. Uh, Like I told you last week, we're hitting pause for the month of December in our 1st and 2nd Samuel series to look more carefully at the birth of Jesus. And we're going to begin here today in John 1, 1 through 18. Please hear the reading of God's holy word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, Full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Thanks be to God for his inerrant and holy word. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, I had some extra time one afternoon, and I was very tired that day, and so I decided I was going to take a little rest, and I did something that I do very rarely. I, I took my hammock outside. And I set it up on some of the trees at the very back of our yard. And at the time, uh, there were not houses behind our yard. Uh, I'm not bitter. But at this time, there was a beautiful pine forest sloping down a hill to a lake. So peaceful, so wonderful. So I had my hammock. I was pointed out towards the, the pine forest. I had a book in my hand. Doesn't this sound wonderful? And I laid down to read for about an hour. Fifteen minutes in, I was disturbed by a rustling sound underneath my hammock. And uh, when I turned down to look at what was there, I found myself eyeball to eyeball with a bobcat. This is a real story. I can show you video, actually, because I took a little bit of video. Uh, He was there. I mean, my hammock, you got to remember, kids, this is only about three foot off the ground. I didn't put my hammock way up. It's down low. He apparently did not see me there, and he apparently wanted to also take the afternoon off, and so he laid down directly under me. I don't know who was more afraid, 
him or me or who got out of there quicker. But I can say at least I pulled out my phone and videoed him running away. My comforting, very comfortable afternoon quickly turned uncomfortable. Think about that because I believe that the Christmas story or the story of Jesus' birth is a lot like that. It's so familiar to us. It brings with it such warm and fuzzy feelings of holiday, like like a hammock in the holidays, right? You can sing, what child is this, and get goosebumps, and you can convince yourself you have encountered Jesus Christ. And yet all the while, under our nose, there's a bobcat, or as the Bible puts it, there is a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah in the manger staring back at us. And so this holiday season, this Christmas, I want to point out several passages in the New Testament, like this one, that show us the glory of Jesus Christ, all right? They don't just show us the baby in the manger. They show us the glory of the person that became man in the manger so that we don't skate through the holidays without encountering the lion who is not safe, but he is good. And so we begin this morning with John, and in verse 14 is very famous. It says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Take a look at your bulletin. There are three things about Jesus, the word, that we want to see today. First of all, in verses 1 to 4, we're going to see Jesus is the eternal word. We're going to get a big picture of who he is. Secondly, in verses 5 to 11, Jesus is the rejected word. And then lastly, in verses 12 to 18, he is the glorious and gracious word sent by the Father. All right, so let's look first of all at the eternal word of God in verses 1 to 4. Uh, John, uh, talking to us about the beginnings of Jesus' life, does not go to Bethlehem. I'm not saying it's bad to go to Bethlehem. I want y'all to go to Bethlehem this Christmas. It's a beautiful scene with the baby in the manger and all that. But John doesn't go there. He goes way back before Bethlehem to show us about Jesus. He goes to in the beginning. In the beginning. Do you see that in verse 1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, you may be familiar that the words in the beginning appear in another place in the Bible. Uh, Here's a Bible quiz. Where does it appear? Genesis. Actually, in the Pew Bible, it's found on page one. So you cannot get anywhere in the Bible without hearing those three words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John wants us to go back there, and I want y'all to go back there too. When you're thinking about the Christmas message, go back to the very day where it all began. There was God, and there was nothing else. God and nothing else. And God, in that nothingness, called forth by his word everything else that exists. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God separated the light from the dark, and the dark he called night, and the light he called day. God said it. The Word of God went out and created all things that exist. John wants us to go there because he's saying this. 
The word of God that created the world was not just the verbal expression of God. It was actually a person. The word was a person. The son of God, as it goes on later to describe him in this passage. The word who was with God in the beginning, but the word who also was God in the beginning. So think about the mystery of this. How can you be both with someone and be that someone at the same time? Well, here we are, y'all, standing at the, at the fore of the mountain of the Trinity. This great mystery that the Bible teaches us about, that the one God, that there are not three gods, there's only one God. And yet within the one God, there are three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together they have been one in substance, in power, and glory, but together they have been with one another in some mysterious way. And here the word, the, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, was the one through whom God made everything else. It tells us there in verse 4 that in the word, in Jesus, was life. Okay, he wasn't just a living creature like you and I. He was the source of life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So you and I today, every person is called into existence and kept in existence by the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where John wants us to go. Don't just go to the manger. Go to the beginning. See the glory of the one who becomes flesh at Christmas because only then can you see its true meaning. Only then can you see its true significance. God has come to dwell with us. The creator of the universe has entered into his creation so that he can recreate his creation. Now don't y'all know that this creation needs to be recreated. I mean, y- y- y'all with me there? There's so much about this world that needs to be remade, reworked, renewed. And what John wants us to remember is that the same God who made it in the first place is the same God who can and will remake it in the second place. By sending his very own son in human form to live and die and be raised and to come again in glory. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. In all of of, of existence there are only two categories. There is creator and there is creature. There's only one being in the creator category. Everything else is creature. John says Jesus belongs in the first category. In all creation, there is only one who is eternal. Everything else is temporary. Jesus belongs in the eternal category. In all of creation, there is only one source of life. Everything else is living from that source. Jesus belongs in the first category. He's the source of all life. God has come to dwell. Charles Spurgeon said, It's one thing to have coins in your pocket with the picture of the king on them. It's another thing to have the king with you as your companion in life, to take your side, to take your place. And John says God has not just sent us coins. He hasn't just sent us tokens or messages from on high, words. He has sent us the word, his very self. 
to move in to the, to the world that he made, to move into the neighborhood of human beings so that you and I can have hope that this world can change and that our lives can change. Here's the warning. Don't get cozy in the hammock of the holiday season and forget the lion underneath you. The lion under your nose. Don't try to domesticate the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to declaw the lion of the tribe of Judah by, by reducing Christmas down to a few good feelings and a few good experiences with friends and family. I'm not against those things. I love those things. And I'm for them. But good feelings don't save the world. Amen. Good feelings do not save you. Here's what saves you. God himself entering in. Not to be your assistant. Not to be just a nice story to tell your kids every time the holiday comes around. But to be God with you, working for you. Wow, what a great salvation. That the creator of the universe would enter his creation to save it. To recreate it. Or as the hymn says... Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. In Jesus Christ, we can see God in a human face. He has become entirely known and visible to us in Jesus Christ. Every year when I get to this season, I try hard, and I'm going to encourage you this morning. It takes work to make a familiar story pop. Pop in your life, to make a familiar story, cut where it needs to cut, to heal where it needs to heal. And so I'm inviting you this morning into the hard work of remembering just how significant the birth of Jesus is, to not ignore him, to not trivialize him, but to face the lion of the tribe of Judah eyeball to eyeball. That's the first thing. But secondly, we see that this word is also the rejected word in verses 5 through 11. Look at verse 5. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, what does that imply to say that he shines in darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it? Well, it implies the darkness is steadily trying to overcome it. This is important. What kind of world was Jesus born into? That's what this section of the passage is getting at. What kind of world did the Son of God get born into? It was a world of darkness, a world of rebellion, a world of hostility, where people like you and me are trying with all of our might to get rid of the memory of the God who made us. The Bible tells us that we suppress the truth about God in our unrighteousness. We hold it down. We chain it up. We try to hide it and conveniently forget about it because we don't want to hear the inconvenient truth that we're not the Lord of the universe. Or at least we're not the Lord of our universe. Which if you're like me, that's what I want to be so often, isn't it? The Lord of my own life. And so the light and the darkness are in a struggle. The human heart, the corruption of it, is in a struggle with the truth of God. And so it gives us an example. It says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John is not writing about himself. This is John the Apostle. He's writing about John the Baptist. There's two different Johns. 
And he says, look at John the Baptist. He came as a witness. He wasn't even the light. He was just a witness to the light, pointing people to it. And yet, what did people do to John the Baptist? They cut off his head. Because they did not want to hear even the message that was pointing to the light. Does that surprise you? That people beheaded John the Baptist? Well, if you're someone who has read the Bible, you're probably not surprised by it. And I would say if you're someone who's even read the newspaper, you're not surprised by it. This is a great window into human nature. In fact, in the Bible, it tells us it wasn't just John the Baptist. It was every single prophet that God ever sent before John the Baptist that had the same treatment. What did they do to the prophets in the Old Testament? They killed them. They imprisoned them. They threw them into pits. They exiled them. They even sawed one of them in half. There's some gruesome stories in the Bible related to how human beings tend to respond when someone stands before them and says, Thus says the Lord God who made you. Listen to what God says. Repent of your sin. Believe in the grace of God because you cannot earn it or deserve it yourself. When people start talking like that, there's something in the human heart that rises up and resists it. So much so that when Jesus came into the world in verses 9 and 10... What does it say? The true light came in who gives light to everyone. The true light came in who owned the world and who made the world. And yet the world did not know him. And the world did not receive him. The world opposed even the son of God. When he came to reveal God. That's the hostility into which Jesus Christ was born. There is a problem in this world that we cannot solve naturally. Think, for example, about blindness. If someone is totally blind, they can't see light, they can't see anything. What is the solution to blindness? Glasses? Nope. More light? Nope. More beautiful things to look at to catch their attention? Nope. None of that will change it at all. What, what's the only thing that can change blindness? The Word of God. Word of God. A miracle is required. This, this is why, by the way, Jesus, one of his... Well, you could say one of his favorite miracles to do was to make the blind see. And he had some really interesting ways of doing it. In fact, we might even call them weird ways of doing it. Think about this. Jesus once had a blind man in front of him, and he picked up dirt from the ground, and he spit in the dirt and made mud with the dirt and rubbed it on the man's eyes and then prayed for him with the word, and made his eyes see. What a weird, that's a weird way to heal a, a person, right? Why would Jesus put mud in the man's eyes? Well, I think this passage shows you why. Remember, it's reminding you of creation in the beginning. 
how did the creator make me and you? How did he make human beings in the beginning? Out of what did he make us? Dirt. Mud. He formed us out of clay into a human being, and he breathed breath into the first man, and he became a living being. What was Jesus doing when he rubbed dirt on the man's eyes? He was showing, look, I've got creator power. Blindness cannot be cured by human means, but I've got creator power. And I'm taking my creator power, the same power that I used to make you in the first place, to remake your sight so that you can see what before you could not. And here this passage says that through Jesus Christ, you and I can also receive that same new creation power. We can become born again so that we can see the glory of Jesus, believe in him, and receive grace in his name. So that even those who have opposed God's truth might become friendly with God's truth. This is the point of Christmas. This is the point of the birth of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that on the top of churches... On the top of steeples, we don't put ladders, but crosses. This is an important point. The symbol of Christianity and of the gospel is not a ladder. Jesus did not come as a, merely a religious teacher to say, hey, y'all, here's, here's what you should do. Here's a ladder and take rung one, two, three to climb your way to heaven. Here's how you cure your own blindness. Steps, ten steps. Christianity comes in and, and brings instead of a ladder a cross. Because the ladder says, get up to me. The cross says, I've come down to you. I've put myself in your place. God has entered human form. And God is giving himself up to die in the place of sinners. To be raised so that that new life of Jesus can come rushing into our lives. A cross and not a ladder represents what Jesus was born to do. We've got to get that into our hearts. You see, the world and we by nature have a very different view of things than what the Bible gives. Okay, The Bible is not the natural way of thinking. It's meant to turn your thinking upside down. All of us have a ladder in our heart and we can hardly get it out until Jesus comes and takes it away and replaces it with his cross. Consider, for example, I read this week something from a man named Bertrand Russell who was famous last century for being a really smart philosopher. He was a British man. You probably have heard his name or you may have. Uh, he wrote a book called Why I Am Not a Christian. He, so obviously he was not a Christian. And uh, he, he says this about the problem of the world, and I agree with him. He says, men and women, here's the problem with the world. Men and women are often in genuine doubt as to what is right and what is wrong. Y'all with him? Even as to whether right or wrong are anything more than ancient superstitions. People have a hard time knowing. I agree. When they try to decide such questions for themselves, they find them too difficult. They cannot discover any clear purpose that they ought to pursue or any clear principle by which they should be guided. People are blind. That's the problem with the world. I agree. Absolutely. Then listen to what he says the solution is. This is perplexing to me. But this is the way that we think naturally. Here's the solution. What should happen to fix this is instead of ethics in the old sense, 
We should replace it with an encouragement and opportunity for people to follow the impulses of their creativity. Huh? But don't you hear it? Don't you hear what he's saying? He's actually pointing out something that is native to our hearts. And it's the most irrational thing that you could ever, ever believe. And yet we believe it naturally. Here, here it is. The problem is me. Therefore, the solution is me. <laughs> the problem is us and how we behave and how we think and how we don't think or behave. Well, here's the solution. Let's behave more. Let's think more. Huh? I've never heard an example that was more clearly trying to fight fire with fire. The birth of Jesus Christ is the exact opposite of that. It says the solution to the problem. First of all, the problem is us. Yes, I agree. The solution is God must give grace. Here's what grace means. God comes down to us rather than us trying to work our way up to him. It's not more of our strategies. It's less of our strategies and more of God's almighty power. Jesus was born into a broken, sinful, rebellious world. And he came to bring the solution. Which leads us finally to our last thing today. The Lord Jesus is also the glorious and the gracious word of God. In verses 12 to 18, John paints this picture. He says in verse 12, to all who did receive him, Jesus came so that people would receive him, so that they would welcome him gladly and put their faith in him and turn from their sins and find life in him. To all who receive him, he gives the right, it says, to become children of God. Adopted into God's family. Children who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. A whole new birth can happen in your life because of Jesus' birth. You can be born of God. Your eyes with the creator's mud can now become seeing. And instead of looking at Jesus and seeing something you want to fight and avoid, you look at Jesus and see someone you want to worship and adore and obey and live with forever. That's the change that Jesus comes to bring. And so it says in verse 14, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. And that glory was full of grace. And from him we get grace upon grace upon grace. Now look down at your Bible at verse 14. You'll see at verse 14 the word dwelt among us. And I want you, if you're this kind of person who underlines things, underline that in your Bible. If it's the Pew Bible, you can do that. You can underline it. I'm, I'm fine with that. Dwelt among us. It's an important word. John uses a very unusual word for dwelt here, one that you wouldn't normally use. It's literally the word tabernacle. It's a weird way to say it. The word became flesh and tabernacled with us. He made a tent right in the middle of his people and he moved into the tent. I mean, that's, that's a weird way to say it. Why did it say it that way? 
Because this is what God had always been promising, right? When God delivered Israel, he had Moses make a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, the sacrifice was offered for their sin and the glory came down. And that tent was supposed to be in the middle of all the people's tents because it was showing that God was going to live right in the middle of us, showing his glory and giving his grace. David would build or plan to build the temple with stones and his son Solomon would build it. Same thing, same symbol. God lives on the hill in the middle of the nation. The sacrifices are given, the grace comes down, and the glory fills the place. And this is saying that we have not just the symbol, but the actual thing now in Christ. The law, verse 17, with all of its symbolism, was given through Moses. But grace and truth, the actual thing, comes through Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. Christmas means you can not only be born again... You can also have adoption into God's family, and you'll have God with you every single day of your life forever. His tent right in the middle of your life. What could be better than that? What blessing could be better than that? Imagine the kind of restoration and renovation in your life can take place if God moved in with all his power and all his grace. Kids, I'm sure you, you know the movie Beauty and the Beast, the animated one. It was made when I was a little kid. And I love the last scene because it just it reminds me of the gospel, I want to tell you. Because in the last scene, you got this beast who's ugly and hideous and all of a sudden, because he's loved by beauty, remember that? Remember how they do it with the magic of animation? Beast just, pow, light shoots out his fingertips, out his toes, out his head, and the beast becomes something beautiful again. The castle that he lived in, which had become vine-ridden and dirty and broken down, becomes once again a wonderful golden palace. There's a picture of what Jesus can do. When God moves into this world, things can change. And listen, don't forget it. The holiday season is not just about warm feelings. It's about actual hope, which does give you feelings. But the hope is the most important thing because God has moved in. Everybody in this world is seeking acceptance and belonging, and we long for it as human beings. Well, notice you get acceptance on a whole nother level with Jesus, you get the right to become children of God himself. Acceptance with God. This world longs for a future. This idea that my life can become better. That I can become better. And here it says we can be born of God. A whole new life. This world is looking and searching everywhere for meaning and for purpose, and this passage tells you, here's your purpose. It's better than you ever thought. It's to behold the glory of God forever, to behold his glory and to be transformed by his glory as you behold him, to display his glory and make him known in the world. Wow. Sitting in the holiday hammock, 
can lull us to sleep, to all this wonder. And so I want us to look down and remember, there's the Lion of Judah. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Amen.